Welcome to episode 820 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Rightio, team, welcome along to episode 820 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. How about yourself? Oh, you know, it seems just like yesterday we were doing last week's show. Yeah. Oog. I'm actually lying on the beach in Kateri Terry today. Oh, that'd be nice. It is. School holiday time, so we have pre-recorded this week's show. Do you take friends with you? Do, you, do the kids take friends with this them? This time, we are. It's first, first time. Oh, yep. how's Tom's it going? Ta- Tom's taking a friend. It's good. It is free babysitting, uh, oh. so it is... It is well. How is how is Felicity now? Felicity is thirteen. So you, you need to be taking look at themselves now, can't they? Uh, pretty much. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just leave them at home. Go yeah. out. Yep. It happens. <laughs> Hit the town. Okay. Uh, Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by our amazing patrons. You go first, Jumbo. Chris Shredder Schrader. We've got David the Hound Winterbottom and Anthony the Long Training Long Train Running Without Weeks. Love, where would you be now? No, no, no. That's a great song, that is. You know what a song there? No, I don't. That love. Uh, uh, it's called Long Train Running. Okay. See that long train running. It's about to disappear. Anyway, in this week's show, we've got... Well, this week's show is a bit of a funny one because John's away. We've, we actually recorded this last week. So we've got two interviews. Who are they? We have. We've got a teensy bit of news and a quiz. And then we're going to talk to Hayley Chira. Uh, she is a fantastic athlete, recently won the Challenge Porta Veras race, uh, also lots of other wins on the 70.3 circuit over the years and, lo- and some Ironman st- um, wins as well and she's also a podcaster so she speaks really well and we're going to have a chat to her and hopefully there'll be another interview, haven't actually done it yet. Haven't actually arranged a well, firm time well, to do it, okay. but it sh- hopefully we'll be in there. Oh, it's going to be a short show if you don't. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to talk with a guy, a uh, local guy, Oscar Baines. He's a really good runner. Um, a Very good runner. He's like a 213, isn't he? He's not that quick. Um, oh, I don't know. But he's trying to make, uh, I think he's trying to make the Commonwealth Games team for run, marathon running. He wins a lot of our domestic marathon runners, uh, marathon races. He's won Christchurch, won Auckland. Uh, and he also owns a footwear store in Christchurch, which is a, a specialist sort of runner's store and triathlete store. And I thought it'd be good to go and have a chat to him about sort of carbon-plated shoes. I know they've been around for a while, um, but I was going to have a chat to him about that. So hopefully that'll be in there. Otherwise... Okay. Just enjoy Hayley. Okay, here we go. Oh, oh so, sorry, I'm sorry to see what time we did the Christchurch Marathon. And uh, No, it's under the 20. Yeah, I think it's more like sort of 218 okay, yeah. yeah. Pretty impressive. But uh, anyway, uh, let's go into news. So there's not much news. We're just saying that Ironman Australia is coming up this weekend. Obviously, we can't talk about last weekend's races, but... Uh, What's Pretty the field much looking like just Aussies, really Aussies and some Kiwis. We've got Cameron Brown and his build up towards Challenge Road, where he wants to go um, be the first fifty-year-old to go under eight hours. So he's that'd be impressive. He's in the mix, um, but you've got Tim Van Berkel, Tim Reid, Josh Amberger, Josh Moody. Um, so it's basically Kiwis and Aussies on the boys' side, and on the female side, you've only got There's only five female five pros. females. Uh, it's just again Kiwis and Aussies with Sarah Crowley expected to win by thirty-one minutes, paying fifty thousand bucks. Yeah, Eight deep. So, if we're only five female pros, does the rest of the money go to the boys? Uh, I don't know the answer to like, that. Do they have to give away the fifty thousand, or is it like you you only get five girls? Yeah, I'm not quite sure. Um, however, there is two, four kind of slots, so 
uh, two on the females and two and, well, on the males. Well, all females will get? Oh, two. Sorry. Yeah. Because so, Curly's already qualified. Yeah. Good good chance to get some money. A little bit of money. Good chance to get a Kona slot. Good times. Good times in Australia. Australia. Uh, the quiz question. That, that's the news. <laughs> the quiz question. <laughs> the quiz question came up as a result of the news. So it's because an Australian athlete and quite topical, although this was this is coming out a week after the fact, Cameron Worth. Why uh, is it topical? I'll tell you that in a second. Okay. How many Ironman titles has Cameron Worth won? We haven't seen him do triathlon so far this season. However, uh, a week and a bit ago, he was riding in the Perry Robay events. He's riding for Ineos Grenadiers a little bit, which is one of the top teams. Is that the one the Kiwi Boy one? No, he won a, he won the Tour of Turkey. Um, but Cameron Worth, uh, for, for non-cyclists, Perry Robay won't mean much, but it's a... It's probably the most iconic single day race. It's the one where they ride over lots of cobbles and it's usually muddy uh, and just complete carnage. It crashes all over the place. You get punches all over the place. It's a strong man's course and Cameron Worth was riding in there and at some stage apparently he was leading the peloton onto one of the sections of Pave, which is what they call the... the, um, Cobbles and his and one of his teammates ended up winning the race. So good oh, on well him. So awesome. he's either going to come into triathlon season uh, in oh, amazing fair, shape, yeah. or I don't know if he's going to keep doing triathlon. Anyway, how many Ironman titles has Cameron Worth won? Okay, let's get into interviews. First up, we have got Haley Chura. Uh, she is right now. Righto, team. Uh, today's guest, her name always keeps popping up on our results over the years, and I've, I've wanted to get her on. So now is the time. Her name's Hayley Chura. Uh, she was recently the winner of the Challenge Puerto Veras race, which I probably pronounced wrongly, but we'll find out later on. Uh, plenty of other wins on the 70.3 circuit over the years, and also a winner at Ironman Fortaleza back in 2014. So welcome along to the show, Hayley. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, I went onto your website, just doing a bit of research about you, you know, a lot of information on the PTO page, but I went onto your website and it said, I grew up knowing I would be a triathlete. My parents raced in the Bud Light Triathlon Series in the late 80s and the house was full of neon Oakleys and the walls were <laughs> decorated with posters of Joanne Ernst and Dave Scott. So it sounds like you were pretty much destined to be a triathlete. I think I was, I was really lucky to grow up with parents who were athletes and, you know, just very active people. And it took me to being an adult to realize like how fortunate I was just that I grew up thinking that, you know, people just go out for runs and that's a totally normal thing. And I remember when I, when I did get into like the corporate working world and I, you know, kind of expanded my, my circle and I realized that that isn't normal, (laughs) that a lot of people have to kind of learn how to exercise when they're adults. And, and that wasn't the case for me. So I am very, very thankful for my parents for both being examples and for, you know, taking me to quite a few swim practices over the years. It's, It's interesting when, you know, this is kind of totally off topic, but you know, like we talk about how do we get kids active you know, and that role modeling thing is such an important part of it. What do you think of you kind of the philosophies you learned around health and fitness from your parents? Well, I think I just, I thought it was a natural part of being an adult was uh, going, you know, they, they were more recreational. Uh, my mom was a really, really good athlete. I should start off by saying that she, I knew that she had been a really good athlete before she had kids and she was a downhill skier. And so I knew that, um, you know, I I don't know. I just knew that that was something that 
people did. They could be really good athletes. And by the time she, I was, you know, in the picture, I, they had transitioned more into triathlon and, and then running. And so they weren't, um, you know, trying to do Ironman at the time, but they were pretty active in the Olympic distance racing scene and, um, and local five K's and 10 K's. And I just thought it was fun. You know, I liked that they got t-shirts and they got medals and sometimes they got cool trophies. And I just think that that was something I just thought was again, normal and, I always envisioned myself doing that when I got older. And I kind of understood that when I was young, uh, swimming was a great place to be in the pool. I did ski a little bit as a kid, but, um, I wasn't really allowed to race my sister and I, we just kind of skied recreationally because my mom had had some pretty bad crashes. And so I think that she was okay with us racing in the pool, not as excited about us racing on the ski hill. So we stuck to the pool and, um, and that was our competitive outlet. Do they keep racing or that, you know, obviously they'll probably be a bit older now, but do they keep doing tries for a long time? They, I don't think they, after they had kids or maybe when I was a baby, they did some triathlons and then, and then I think it got into more running. Cause I think that's a little bit logistically easier when you're managing two kids and sports schedules, but they, my mom and I actually raced, um, the, uh, the Atlanta marathon together. And I think it was two, oh, it must've been like 2008 or nine. And, um, and that was pretty cool. And she actually, uh, was ahead of me for like the first, oh. you know, probably the first half of the race. I just let her go. <laughs> and, um, and then, uh, came back and I did end up catching her, but I actually, I think we raced in 2008, we raced a 5k together and she beat me like right before she caught me right at the end and passed me right before the line. So it's also like, a. I come from a pretty competitive family and it's also (laughs) like, definitely there's no, uh, no easy wins. So you started in triathlon or at least being a pro around 2012. So what was life looking like before that? Like, was it always the ambition to be a pro athlete or were you on another path? And if so, what did that look like? Right. So I graduated from college in 2007 and I had been a swimmer. So up to that and. I think that, uh, I actually did not intend to ever swim again after I graduated. It was college swimming was incredible. I swam at the university of Georgia and, um, it was, it was really intense though. And I was, um, I kind of, I kind of wanted a break and, but then my college roommate, her brother was swimming with a master's team in Atlanta and I was living in Atlanta at the time and, um, working in public accounting and, and he kind of was like, Oh, come swim with this master's group at Dynamo multi-sport. It's really fun. And, I, I went just to like have fun and meet people. And, um, there was a really good group of, you know, 20 something year olds who kind of, who were were swimming there at the time. And the coach who was, who was there, Maria thrash, she was just, she was fantastic. And she kind of knew what I needed was, uh, more of like a, a social outlet. And so she tried to keep me with my words to yards ratio, you know, trying to keep it. So it wasn't too many words <laughs> for yards, but cause I am quite chatty, but, uh, it was, it was good. And then I kind of started to meet some triathletes and, uh, I was like, okay, maybe I need to like, give this a real try and hire a coach and, and, you know, give it a legitimate chance. But I don't think at the time I really thought about being a professional. It was, um, it was more that I, I did a couple triathlons and I, 
I, I swam very well. I was getting passed by pretty much everyone on the bike. And I was like, you know what, if I trained for this, I bet I could do better. So, um, I was very lucky to meet some people and a good friend of mine, who's still a good friend, Betty Janelle, she actually, um, qualified for Kona and we were training partners. And that was kind of the inspiration for me wanting to qualify for Kona when I was like 23 years old. And, and so I did, and, and that is kind of, that lit really lit the fire. I think having that opportunity and going to Kona and again, my Kona race that first time was not very, uh, it wasn't very impressive, but, um, I think I had a five and a half hour marathon. And so we've all, we've all been there, but, uh, but it, I knew even walking that marathon, I was, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to come back and I'm going to do better. And I have since then. So, so that kind of, that is where it started. And so that was in 2009 and, from 2009 to 2012, I think during that time, I did know the aspiration was to become a professional, but I, uh, I was, I was working in public accounting. I was pretty much, I, I, I opened a savings account and took money out of every single paycheck that went toward funding my races and buying a new bike and getting things together and also saving for hopefully one someday I might be able to walk away from that job. And it took me four years, but, um, eventually I did and which I actually did in 2013. So I was racing pro at the time, but that was, that was scary. <laughs> that was very scary, but it was, again, I'm an accountant by, uh, you know, uh, my profession, which isn't exactly a, it's kind of a risk adverse profession. So I, I'd yeah. say I did it the more risk adverse way. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so you've been going since, since 2012 and we know that, you know, racing 70.3s and, and Ironmans, even if you're winning races, um, the prize money's not amazing. Um, some athletes make it, make it work really well. So have you, have you sort of been doing full-time pro racing since then? Um, or have you been sort of doing other bits and bobs as well? Right. So in 2013, when I left that job, I was, again, I was really fortunate. I had had a really good amateur career and I'd been, you know, first amateur out of the water at Kona four times. I had been on the podium, the age group podium in Kona twice. And so I, in 2013, I actually had sponsors, like some pretty good sponsors right from the beginning, which was incredible. And I think helped me make that leap, but I, and then I won my uh, third pro race in new Orleans, 70.3. And so, which was like two weeks after I left my job. So (laughs) in the beginning I was more full-time than I am now. (laughs) And so that is kind of an indication of the sport. And that's no secret that in the last 10 years, um, you know, sponsorship has changed and I, um, you know, and so now I, I, and I kind of, it, I, I picked up like one athlete that I was coaching that first year. And then three the next year to kind of supplement things. But I was really getting a vibe with prize money sponsorship and then very, very low expenses, you know, really (laughs) living with a friend, um, really trying to manage that. And I, um, as I got a little older, I was like, okay, I, I, what's important to me. And I wanted a little bit more, you know, known income. And then also as the sponsorship climate changed, um, I definitely have have transitioned more into coaching and podcasting and other income sources in addition to some prize money because it, it has only gotten harder. I don't know if everyone, everyone feels that way, but that's how Mm. I've felt. You you say a lot about how the um, sponsorship kind of terrain has changed over the years. Tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I can, uh, I mean, I was with tier like, um, as my biggest sponsor when I first started. So a swim company, which isn't in triathlon anymore. And so that's not even like, I don't think, you know, 
losing that sponsorship was a reflection of my performance. Mm. They just, that company decided not to be in the triathlon space anymore. And so I think that's kind of what we've seen. And I do think social media has become a bigger part and that isn't my strongest suit. I think I was a little bit better when it was blogging and I know you just were on my website and you probably (laughs) noticed it has not been updated. The sick figures are pretty sharp. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was really impressive in like 2011, but (laughs) now you need like a YouTube following. And I think that that's something where I am not as strong at that. So, and I totally admit that. I think I, um, I I'm just someone who values my privacy a little bit more in that respect. And I don't necessarily want someone in my house, like watching me cook eggs. And yeah. so, cause I'm very bad at that. And, um, and so I like some mystery, right. But, um, so I think that's something that I have struggled with a little bit. And so I probably have missed opportunities with that. Podcasting has been a good thing for me. Again, I like talking and I think that I feel like I have a little bit more control over that. So I do co-host the Iron Women podcast and and that's been great as far as like community and a little bit of extra income, but I recognize that's a, that's a choice for me. And I think at this point in my life, I am someone who's like, okay, I'll take on more work coaching athletes. Cause that's also something I feel very fulfilled with rather than trying to hire someone to make YouTube videos of me and trying to get sponsors that way. And maybe that's just, you know, being 36 versus 26. Um, I might be, you know, different if it was that way, but, um, yeah. And I, I recognize that, you know, brands want that that's your job. And I'm like, Oh man, I can't do it. <laughs> Not all the time. Occasionally I can do a little reel here and there, but, Oh, it's hard. It's hard now. Yeah. You and me both. <laughs> um, so in terms of recent racing, you know, you went and won this uh, challenge Puerto Veras. I just want to find out a bit about this race. Tell us maybe where it is and what it's like and what the course is like if, if people want to go and do that one. Right. So I'm, I'm some, an athlete that loves to use triathlon as a way to travel. And I think that one of the reasons is that I'm, I'm actually quite a homebody, but I have just realized that travel is where I get so much growth as like a person. And as an athlete, I learn so much. I put myself into these incredibly challenging, uh, environments and then I'm able to kind of figure things out and rise to the occasion. And those are experiences that I will carry with me for the rest of my life. And, I have just really, really appreciated traveling during my career and, uh, the pandemic definitely made that hard. And I know y'all are in New Zealand, which, Mm -hmm. uh, you definitely have been limited on travel. And, and so I kind of, when I was in the pandemic and I was like, okay, if I ever got a chance to go to like certain places again, I will take it. And one of those places was Southern Chile. And, um, so when this new race was added in Puerto Varas and, um, I am sponsored by Quintana Roo, which is a bike company. And there was a, a bike shop in, in Chile called Tri Bike Chile, and they are a Quintana Roo dealer. And they contacted me because they were like, Hey, would you, you know, would you be interested in, in doing this race? And I honestly didn't know anything. I was like, I don't even know if this is a pro race, but I was like, <laughs> yes, I'm interested because they kind of helped me with the logistics because, um, as you know, traveling right now is hard. And mm-hmm. I was kind of like, you know, can you even get into Chile? And I, um, and so they helped me kind of navigate what kind of vaccination records I needed, how to upload that, uh, travel insurance. Um, you have to do like an affidavit, you have to take COVID tests before. So there were some logistics, but it was kind of nice having someone in Chile that could help with that. Yeah, um, of but Puerto Varas as a location for a race is incredible. And I, I love South America. I love that it's a little bit, 
less than perfect, I guess. And a lot of the North American races, everything is very like, you know, regimented in South America is kind of a little bit, there's a little more like, you know, chaos. And I love that. Again, I think it brings out the best in me. And so even just my travel down there was, it wasn't South America's fault. It was North America's fault, but I, you know, missed some connections with flights and, um, but, and I, I try to kind of just embrace it and be like, okay, problem solve. It's going to be okay. And it was, so it was actually pretty easy to get there. Um, you can fly into Puerto Montt. So Santiago, Puerto Montt, and then it's only like a 20 minute taxi ride to Puerto Varas. And it's a, it's a, I think 40,000 person town. So a good size has most everything, but uh, right set on this huge lake with this volcano. And it's just so incredible. And I obviously live in the Northern hemisphere. I'm coming from winter in Montana. I get to go to the Southern hemisphere where it's like summer, you know, going into fall, but much nicer weather, um, which is always a treat longer days. And I, um, I definitely, it was a little on the colder side because you are pretty far South, but, um, that also favors me. I'm pretty good in cold conditions, but, it was really logistically easy. Like all the hotels are right along the lake and it's like a 200 meter walk to transition. It was just so nice. Um, so if you are showing up a little late, it was, it worked out okay. But, um, again, I just wanted the adventure of, of going to a new place. Uh, you know, I've raced in Pecone before and just had the best time. And so that was one of the reasons I was like, okay, let's check out this new race. And, uh, I mean, it had definitely the new race vibe where they are definitely figuring things out. And, but I, I also love that. I love being kind of a part of something new. And I think there was so much excitement around the race and I, I just really fed off of that and really appreciated every moment that I got to be there. And it was, um, it was incredible. I mean, it was an incredible venue and I'm, I was really happy with my performance as well. Yeah, winning's always good. Um, you've been to loads, as you said, you, you know, traveling's a big part of what you do. <clears throat> you've been to loads of different places. You've been to Iceland, you've been to, to South America, Australia, China. Um, have there been any other sort of standout races that if you got, get the opportunity to go back again, you're like, I'm definitely going and doing that? If they had the race, the challenge race in Iceland again, that is when I would definitely do. And that is when I was like, I, uh, I, you know, wished I could, would have stayed longer. Cause I was like, what am I doing? Getting on an airplane. I need to go tour. Cause they have so many geothermal swimming pools there. And I love swimming and I love, like, I wanted to do like a swimming pool tour. So that's something like in the future, I'm just going to like go back there and do that. But, um, one race that I have not done that I really want to do is Wanaka. Yeah. And yeah. that is just like, again, I was like, during the pandemic, I was like, no, like, am I, are we ever going to be able to travel again? And, yeah. and so that's one that's definitely on my bucket list because I have not raced in New Zealand. And, um, and that was one that I think, again, I love cold water and just kind of, uh, you know, just those, those races and those incredible destinations that are a little hard to get to, but definitely worth it. Um, so that is, that's one that's for sure on my list. You're currently ranked 60th in the PTO. Are you trying to push for more PTO kind of racing? And also how do you feel about the direction of what PTO is doing? Right. So I got to go to the Collins cup last year as an alternate for team mm. USA. And that was another like spur of the moment. Um, I think I had five days to book my flight and, um, but I was like, what else am I doing? It was, there were kind of rumblings that Kona was going to be postponed. And so I, um, I decided to go and I didn't get to race in the Collins cup, but I got to race in, uh, the challenge championship. And I, um, got to kind of experience the Collins cup and learn more about the PTO. And, 
I came away from that very optimistic about the PTO. Um, I, you know, I, I think that they do have a long-term vision. I know that, uh, for me personally, like their goal is to create superstars and I'm not sure I'm that person, but I love the sport of triathlon. And so I am someone who's like, okay, let's create these superstars, even if it's not me, because I do think that even the very top people in triathlon are probably underpaid for the kind of the caliber of athletes that they are. And so I, I got to learn a lot more and meet more people involved with PTO. I'm, I'm not on the board and I'm not on any specific committee, but I, um, I, I'm very optimistic about them and I, I really appreciate what they're doing. I'll admit that in, in my racing, I wasn't super concerned about PTO points. I think that I think they are working on those rankings and, um, my understanding is, you know, the, the system is as good as it can be right now, given the constraints of so many races, um, pandemic. And, uh, I, so do I really think I'm, you know, the number 60 woman in the world? I don't know. <laughs> I think that they're just using, you know, whatever best metrics they can. And I'll admit that when I'm racing, you know, when I was racing in Puerto Varas and I'm like, if I go a little faster, maybe I can get more PTO points. I, I that doesn't really spur me on <laughs> to be honest. Maybe if I was like in the top 10 and you were talking like really big money, um, I could do that, but I'm mostly, you know, I'm more racing for the experience and the win. Um, I wasn't really thinking about PTO points, but um, I think as they, they come up with these, you know, they have the Canadian open this year and the U S open, um, and then the Collins cup, I think that as they have more of those kind of marquee races that the rankings will make more sense. We're going to see more head to head racing. I'm hopeful that sponsors also come along and, uh, offer bonuses for those races because in my conversations, just, you know, anecdotally with other pros, I know that a lot of sponsors don't yet mm. necessarily offer bonuses. And so that is one of the deterrents for, for people, maybe not racing in those PTO open points. So you are kind of balancing things, right? Like you're like, okay, if I can make this kind of prize money or this kind of PTO money, or, or can I get a bigger sponsor bonus if I go do this Ironman branded race? And so I think that that's evolving and I'm sure it will as, as the races become more, uh, common and you know, that they, they have success with them, but, um, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's new and I am very hopeful, I guess is, is the short <laughs> recap of a long answer. But, uh, I did note on your, your PTO sort of profile page, you had a really bad bike crash in 2015. So maybe talk us through the recovery from that. And I guess advice you'd, you'd give people, because it did say, you know, there was obviously the physical healing that took place, but there was also the mental healing. So maybe sort of talk us through what happened to you in 2015 and, and how you came back from that. Right. Yeah. So in 2015, it was three weeks before Kona and I was in probably at least the best bike shape of my life. I, um, I was on this ride and I was just killing it. You know, I was like, holy cow, I am so fit. <laughs> and I, like I did, I looked down at my bike computer, sa saw that. And then I would looked up and I was like, that car is aiming for me. And oh, really? There was one car on the road and the one car hit me and oh, wow. it was a older gentleman who just didn't see me. Um, the sun was in his eyes and, um, and I, I didn't, my, my injuries were not life-threatening, but they were definitely career threatening. And I had a, you know, large laceration in my leg and, um, a fracture and I destroyed my bike. And I mean, I, 
I wouldn't, I, I hate to use the word lucky, but I did not hit my head or have, you know, more severe injuries, but it took a very long time for me to really run again. Um, that was, you know, the big thing was the running took a long time to come back. And I would say it was like a year and a half before I did like a run, like a really good run workout. Um, and so, uh, and during that time, I, I definitely kind of grieved my triathlon career. I thought maybe I was done. And, but what that did was, um, you know, in 2016, that's when I went to Iceland. Cause I was kind of, I thought I was on a farewell tour and I, uh, I, and, and then 2017 came along and I, my coach called that, um, my North star year where I basically thought it was going to be my last year. And, I decided to just travel the world. And, um, and so I did, I went to Chile, I went to Argentina, I went to Brazil, I went to, uh, China twice. I went to Australia. Um, and I, and then I raced some, you know, races that I really like close to home, uh, Coeur d'Alene 70.3. And the crazy thing that happened was I had my best year ever. (laughs) And yeah. And so I I won two races. I won Buenos Aires 70.3. And that was a big breakthrough because that was the first race where I, I ran really well. And I actually ran, I think better than I had pre-crash. And so that was, it was fascinating to me and it was fascinating to my coach. And I think what I credit that to was patience from both my coach, Matthew Rose at Dynamo Multisport, as well as my family and my friends, because I went through a really hard time where I didn't want to go outside at all. Like I was so, I was, didn't like to run outside. I didn't like to ride outside. I didn't want to go for a walk outside because I just thought everywhere there were cars and everywhere I was going to, you know, get hit. And I, I worked with a therapist and that helped a lot. And I actually moved from the Atlanta area to Montana because I had also had a really hard time driving. And so here I drive a lot less and Um, and so, I mean, it was the psychological impact was, was bizarre and that's just the human brain and obviously has gotten better over time, but I had to really think, okay, why do I, why do I want to keep doing this? And a big part of it was like, I actually love adventure riding, right? Like I love going on a bike on two wheels, self-powered and going to these incredible places that they just don't look the same when you're in a car or, you know, and, and I think that. I, I, I was like, that's worth it to me. And I love, you know, I do love traveling to races and the places races have taken me. And so coming, coming through, you know, that and breaking through and in counseling sessions and realizing this is why I'm still doing this just gave me a whole new appreciation for the sport and for why I was going to continue doing it and the friendships and the relationships I've made. And I also kind of made this mindset where, I was not going to say anything bad to myself during races. And so even if I was really far behind, because some of those first races back, I was blowing up, like, you know, I just hadn't done the training and I was like, I, my swim was okay. Cause obviously I'd been able to swim, but I, I would just, you know, have pretty spectacular blowups because I just wasn't very fit. And I, um, I, you know, I, I was like, you can find something good in this moment, you know, even if it's just, wow, that's a great tree. I got to see, you know, that kind of thing. Um, or just like, I really like these socks I'm wearing, but I tried really hard to keep the self-talk positive because I did tell myself like just being on a start line is incredible because you never thought you were going to be here. And I told myself also like the pain from effort is so much better from the pain from injury. Mm-hmm. And, and it is, I mean, I think everyone would say that who's ever been injured. And so 
I think that, you know, the combination of patience, like my coach letting me take a year and a half to like ease back into running. I mean, we started back with a one minute run and, um, and just sticking with me, not knowing if I was ever going to race again and not knowing if I would ever compete at a really, uh, competitive pro level. And then, so I do try to, I mean, I'm not as good at the positive self-talk maybe now as I, as I was in those early days, but, um, because I have little slightly different expectations of myself, but I do try to remember that and realize that this is a second chance at, at this career. And that every start line I get on is, is a special and unique opportunity. And I will just try to make the most of it. And, um, I think that has actually helped my racing. So, so when you look to where you are now, you know, you, you are more in the, the twilight of your career. So when you look towards what's happening next, you know, look at this year, and maybe next year, what is the plan? <laughs> I mean, right now my, my focus is all on St. George. Um, we're calling it Utah Kona. Um, that's what my nice. friends called it that, um, and uh, a little easier to say, but I, I feel like, again, I didn't think I just, I had a rough time during the pandemic and there were parts of me that were like, maybe I should just be done. And I am someone who, um, you know, enjoys challenges and different things. And I feel like I could do real pretty well in, in other areas of life too, if I was more focused on that. And so I question, you know, should I step away from professional racing and do something a little bit different? And I ultimately didn't, you know, I'm back, but I, you know, kind of, again, in that process, I was, I didn't know if I, uh, would ever get to race in a Ironman world championships. And so when I raced in Coeur d'Alene last year, that was, I was not ready to race an Ironman, but I, um, it's close to home. I mean, it's, it's six hour drive. So it's, it's kind of the closest race we have here in Montana. And it is a special race to me. I love this. I've raced the 70.3 many times. And that was the first time racing the full Ironman. And I was like, I'll just go try and do it. And I, um, you know, I finished fourth and I got that slot and I was like, okay, again, this is an opportunity. Let's take it. And so even as it, it turned from, you know, Hawaii Kona to Utah Kona, um, I, I, I think, I am really excited to race in a, in a, uh, world championship. And when I do look at my career, there are certain things that I, I haven't done. And one of those I think is have the race. I think I'm capable of having at the Ironman world championship. Um, my highest place there was 18th in 2017 and that race, you know, it had some bumps, like it wasn't, it wasn't perfect. And so I do think that's something I would like to have, um, is a solid race at the Ironman world championship. And what that is, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I'd love to finish top 15 because they paid a 15th now. And I think that, you oh, know, it's really? always fun to get paid. Is just, yes. is just, is it just for St. George or it's going to be Kona no, as they well? Can't, they can't bring it Kona's back, can they? They go there, they go there. Yeah. yeah. I think it's Kona. Yeah. Hawaii, Kona, St. George, they're, they're paying to 15th now. I think they also mm-hmm. did that for the 70.3 world championship last year. So, um, so yeah, that's great. I mean, it's a great step and I want to like celebrate that. And I do think it's a motivational goal because, um, you know, it's, it, it just gives you a, hopefully you can like offset some of those expenses, <laughs> if nothing else. <laughs> don't, don't go getting 16th. Yeah, no, I mean, at least 16th is better than 11th for getting zero. Yeah. So Um, so that's kind of something I would really love to, um, run a sub three hour marathon off the bike, which I don't know if St. George is the course for that. (laughs) I think it's quite hilly, but, um, but I think that's something I think I'm capable of. I ran a three Oh five in Coeur d'Alene last year and it was really hot. And that shocked me because I do think that, um, I, I mean, I'm again, my running now, I feel like is just a gift because I, 
I, I didn't necessarily grow up as a runner, but, and I had that, you know, leg injury and, but just, I think consistent, you know, I guess we're on seven years of no injury and just consistent training has been really, really good for me. And then I did actually run a standalone marathon in 2019. I kind of stepped away from triathlon and tried to qualify for the U S Olympic trials. And I did do that. I ran at 2:43, and I got to run the U S Olympic trials, which was an incredible experience. But I think that has given me this, like, you know, this confidence that I can run a fast marathon and I am a runner. And, mm. um, that's something that I, I, I don't know. That's just one of those, uh, benchmarks in Ironman running that sub three marathon mm. off the bike that I think would be cool to do. So I have kind of goals like that, um, that are just, I mean, if I don't ever accomplish that, I'm not going to be devastated, but Hey, it'd be nice. Uh, and we try to make Kona Kona as well as Utah Kona this year. If, if I get a slot at Utah Kona, you know, I think there are, there are eight slots for, um, for the pros and several people have already qualified. And so it will hopefully roll down. And I think, you know, if, if, if I, I'm not an expert, but I follow women's and field pretty closely. And I feel like top 15, you got a shot, um, at getting one of those roll downs. And so I, I would take it, of course. Um, I, I don't, if, if I don't get that, I don't know if I have it in me to like race another Ironman between, uh, mm. you know, May and October. I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot because <laughs> I, yeah. I used to race like that, but oh man, I get tired now. So, <laughs> um, it's, uh, so I don't know, you know, I, I'm going to see how this goes and, um, you know, I, it's, I, I would love another opportunity to race the Hawaii Kona just because, Again, I haven't had my perfect day there, I think, which I don't know if a perfect day exists, but just the day that uh, fits with my training. And I think I've shown in other races in Fortaleza and Coeur d'Alene that I can race really well in the heat. Um, I'm not someone who's good at the heat, but I'm very good at heat management. And so I would love the challenge of like, can you do that in Hawaii? And so there is a part of me that would love to do that. And I also, this year is the first year that um, there are 50 women pro women racing in Hawaii Kona. And so 50 men and 50 women. And that's something that's been, you know, very important to me in the most, in the recent years, because mm. previously there were 35 women and 50 men, and this is the first time it will be equal. And again, that's something that I'm passionate about and, uh, fires me up. And so I think that, you know, being a part of that very first ever equal, <laughs> equal, uh, you know, field size would be really special. I was gonna. I did have that as a question to ask you because on your um, extremely up to date website, uh, it, it did have um, the little fifty woman for Kona when there was that real push for that from the likes of Rachel Joyce and yourself and, and others um, many years ago. But that again, that's flown under the radar. It's that's the first I've heard of there being fifty woman to Kona. Is is that because they've maybe almost conceded defeat in terms of Ironman or has there been any other announcements about that? I think there was some, uh, you know, there was some definite, like, I think triathlete magazine that covered it. So there was yeah. some, some announcement, but I mean, I'm also someone that's like, I don't need to like claim victory. You know, it was, they were doing the right thing and I don't need Ironman to feel bad about it or anything like that. Like, let's just, okay, we're doing the right thing. Let's move on. And, um, so that's kind of, I, how I feel about it. And, you know, I will admit that I was someone who, who didn't realize, you know, when I was an age grouper and coming up the ranks, like 
I, I didn't realize the, the inequality and it, until it kind of hit me in the face. And I think in 2013, I was the final woman to qualify for that race. And, and what I did to qualify, I mean, I think I, I, I was from age group to pro and I, I raced like six Ironmans in 13 months, which wow. I wouldn't recommend for anyone, but that was, you know, that was the points chase time. And I got to Kona and I, I was first out of the water, which was an incredible experience. And then I was so tired though. <laughs> I was so tired and I, you know, I was, it was a rough, rough day. And, um, and, but I did, you know, why did I do that? I did it for sponsors. I did it because I was trying to make a career out of it. And I realized that, yes, I got more attention because I was that 35th place woman, but I had to do so much more than the 35th place man. And, um, and so it was, it, I I'm ashamed a little bit that it had to like be so personal and like really hit me in the face for me to recognize it. And so that's why I do really admire Rachel Joyce, um, Alyssa Gadeski, people like that who weren't necessarily direct beneficiaries of that, but who were fighting for it nonetheless. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of myself for coming around to that. And so I am, I'm proud of Ironman for making it, you know, 50 this year. Yeah, it's great. Just random question. I was checking out your Instagram. You, you seem like a book lover. So I want, I want one book recommendation. Oh, okay. So I am a book lover. I have a very casual book club with one of my friends, but the best book I have read this year is actually Pachinko by, Pachinko. um, yes. Oh my gosh. I, I think it's Minjin Lee is the author. And, um, it, I, it was not an official book club, uh, uh, selection, but Fiona Moriarty, who's another pro triathlete, she actually sent it to me. She reads much faster than me. I'm a very slow reader, but Same. I really appreciate it. <laughs> but, um, it's about, uh, it's like five generations of a South Korean or four generations of a South Korean family, uh, during the Japanese occupation of South Korea during, um, you know, so like we're talking, you know, prior to world war two and it's, fascinating. I mean, it's so well-written it's fiction, but it was just something I definitely didn't know about. And it's, it's so beautiful. I mean, some of the writing was so beautiful. I was like tearing up. And so that's a, that's a nice thing about reading slow. You have time to cry, but um, <laughs> I would recommend that one. It's a long book, but I sped through it because it was like, just, I couldn't put it down. And I think it's also a, a TV show now. I'm not sure which streaming platform it's on, but I haven't seen the show because I kind of just love how it, it was in my head. Um, and but that is definitely one I would highly recommend for for anyone. Awesome. Oh well, this, this uh, Bevan, you got a book to get going. Yeah, get. I have. I love a good book. Brilliant. We're looking forward to seeing how you go in um, in Kona, Utah, and anything else you want to get out there in terms of anything that's that's coming up. I know you've got your own podcast. Um, anything else you want to get out there to the triathlon world? Yeah, if anyone's in St. George, I, I dress um, very bright. I wear a lot of green and yellow, which is for Dino Multisport, the first tri club that got me started in the race. And so um, I have a green and yellow bike. So send me some cheers. I love the cheers. So, um, you know, definitely look out for me. I'm hard to miss. And uh, yeah, because I, I take a lot of energy from the crowd. And um, I, you know, I hope hopefully can translate to that to a solid day in St. George. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much yeah, for your time. Thank you. John, your thoughts? We learned a few things there, didn't yeah, we? 50, I didn't realise that 50 females had been... Maybe we it, had. Maybe we had, but it doesn't ring a bell. But it wasn't big. It, was, it hasn't been big, big news. So yeah. that was cool that we're going to see 50 women to Kona. Fantastic. The other one was um, paying 15 deep at Ironman World Championships, yeah. which is great. I don't know whether the money's increased or not. We well, have to, wouldn't it? You can't decrease. 
the top ten. You can do whatever you bloody want. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> like in the in the in the public kind of judgment. Uh, who knows? Anyway, regardless, I think that's great as well. I think it'd be better if it paid 20 deep and it obviously went up. But, God, you're shafted if you get 11th in, at Kona well, or at 16th. St. George. Now it's 16th, but still five a five-person increase is better than no increase. Uh, is this a reflection f- of PDO? Um, who knows? You have to ask. Well, I should the, have asked the, the, Andrew the, Messick last week, shouldn't yeah, I? Yeah, mate, mate. Um, but, you know, realistically... But doesn't seem anywhere elsewhere. Mm. You know, that, why Why now? Mm. So you know, why now? It's never happened ever before and they've always said, oh, you know, they don't really yeah, sport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Screw them. Yeah. So hopefully it can go to 20 deep and hopefully we get to a state at some stage where if you qualify for Kona, it's a bit like the PTO where you're not going to get much if you're down in 50th place but you're going to get something to at least yeah. maybe cover your airfare or something. So maybe a thousand bucks for 50th or yeah. something like that. Hopefully we get to that state. So um, yeah, nice work, Katie Chirrut. Um Look forward to seeing how she does in St. George and hopefully she gets inside top 15 Max Kona. Yeah, okay, good times. Okay, we've got uh, an interview with Oscar Baines. He's going to be talking about shoes. Here he is. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> and if not, it's going straight to the quiz question. And this is a very short show. Here we go. <laughs> Righto, team. Um, as we've said earlier in the show, we've got one of New Zealand's fastest distance runners on today, Oscar Baines. He uh, runs the Front Runner store here in Christchurch, which is a, a shoe specialist store. They also do um, a whole bunch of triathlon gear as well, so wetsuits and goggles and all sorts of knickknacks. Um, you can check them out at frontrunnercolumbo.co.nz obviously you Christchurch people should be going in and uh, checking it out anybody else around New Zealand can uh, can order online also do Morton Nutrition you guys have heard about plus lots of other things so uh, welcome along to the show Oscar thanks John thanks for having me happy to talk about running yeah and sport. what's uh, what's training look like for you today and, and what's it looking like tomorrow morning uh today Friday's easy day for me so it's a uh, it's a, a nice 40 to 45 minute early jog and then the triathletes will be happy. I was in the pool this morning um, nice. for, for half an hour, just flailing away, trying not to drown. Uh, but one of my favorite things to do just for a bit of recovery and get the fins on for the ankle joints. I actually saw your mate, Dave Dwan. Oh, very um, good. Down there as well. Yeah. Excellent. Yep. Any key sessions coming up over the weekend? Yeah, so Saturday's normally, every second Saturday is normally our big session. So tomorrow, well, we're getting ready for a marathon in three weeks. So I've got um, seven or eight by 2K uh, tomorrow, just a little bit quicker than marathon pace um, nice. on 90 seconds, 90 seconds rest. Um, so, yeah, I'll be, I'll be suffering at Hubba State in the park. Excellent. Oh, now today we want to talk about carbon sort of shoes and, you know, we've seen them really come on and in leaps and bounds over the last few years. We're seeing world records set left, right and centre. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. sometimes it's a bit confusing for, for you know, age group triathletes to, to really get a grasp of whether they're suitable for them. So maybe just kick off by sort of explaining what these shoes are, are like in terms of how they're different to a regular shoe and, and how the carbon works and, and the drops and just sort of give us an overview of what these shoes are like relative to traditional shoes yeah yeah what's interesting about this john is um i think the the carbon the plate is um you know one one aspect of the shoes um and i can talk about that first so generally it's a you know a wafer thin piece of carbon fiber um tends to be closer to the ground towards the forefoot in the shoe and then um closer to the the foot and the head of the shoe 
and that's I guess to try and create some sort of spring or or, or lever um, uh, like the footers, like the plantar fasciitis, are trying to make that a, a better mechanism, if you like. Um, but sort of what's interesting is the geometries of the shoes. I think is what's probably changed the most, and the carbon fiber plate has enabled. Um, brands to use very lightweight um, sort of spongy foams because it gives the midsoles, which is the engine room of the shoes, some integrity and helps those sort of lightweight foams um, not collapse, if you like, as well as be a spring for the foot. So what we've seen is these sort of, I guess, maxi type racing shoes with incredibly lightweight foams. Um, I don't know if you remember the Asics Piranha from 2011 mm. but some some of these shoes are as light as that and i think the the, the stack height of that might have been about nine mil um mm. and you know the shoes we, the shoes we're seeing these days are sort of close to 40 mil um which are, are legal for the road or 39.9 i think the iaa rules are at the moment um and and so what we're seeing are these really bouncy lightweight foams which uh do sort of two things one is it enables them to have um incredible cushioning to save our legs from hard surfaces like the road and the second thing is um you'll, you'll notice that the shoes have got more and more sort of toe spring or almost like that banana shape to them like the original hokers and what mm. that does is it speeds people through that longitudinal phase um of their foot gait so as they're transitioning from you know from a flatter foot through to a toe off so it's speeding up that integrity quite quickly um and, and it's meaning that people are able to get through their gait faster mm. so what what are uh, they, they look massive you know they look like a lot well a lot of them not all of them but they look like big hokers but in terms of the actual weight of a lot of these shoes i know it will vary between brand and brand what you're saying is in general they're they're a hell of a lot lighter than what they look like yeah so it's just there are some uh, you know some amazing composite foams and brands are using um you know uh, the likes of silicon and other types of materials to mix them with traditional eva we've got polyurethane um, Nike won't tell us what their what their <laughs> Zoom X is, and you know. So, and and no matter how many times JC and I cut cut a pair apart, but I think uh, we've managed to get sort of um, you know down down to under two hundred grams for a shoe that's got a stack height of nearly four centimeters, which yeah. is you know mind boggling, mate. It's extraordinary. So we you know we're going with that philosophy as light as we can get, but we've also got bounce and comfort, yeah. um, which I think is the real equation, if you like. Yeah. Maybe just explain stack height for people that don't know what you're talking about, oh, yeah, and and and, and how that how that compares to 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 a slightly more traditional shoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So stack height is, I guess, the overall height of the shoe, um, you know, from where it meets the ground to where your foot sits on it. And like, I guess, um, brands have got clever around, and I'll I'll call it like a sidewall. So often the the true stack height of the shoe can be a little bit of an optical illusion. <laughs> Um, because yeah. often your foot will sit down inside the midsole. Um, but, you know, traditionally, if we go back sort of when I started um, selling shoes in 2010, you know, the most cushioned shoe might have been an Essex Kayano um, type type situation where, you know, that might have been 25 mil in the back and then had a, had a pitch of 10 mil and be 15 mil on the front. And often those measurements didn't didn't include the inner sole, so the, the the footbed inside the shoe, or the rubber on the bottom. So you can sort of um, add a few mil for those as well. And I think you know, sort of that was because foams are really heavy. They might have been die cut EVA, or they were just starting to to um, to push foams into a mold. And and because of that, they were so heavy, they couldn't have lots of it. Mm. Um, and so now we've sort of progressed to 
you know, the way they're making these midsoles. And again, half the time they won't tell us and we have to sort of draw between the lines a wee bit. Um, but now, we're, you know, we're looking at sort of 40 mil uh, in the back or very close to it for these, particularly these racing shoes. And then they've all, they're all really varied. And like, I don't think there's a magic pitch and, and pitches the difference between the, the stack height of the shoe in the middle of your heel and then the um, the stack height sort of underneath your metatarsals, um, so mm. your toe joints, that big toe joint. And and there's no magic um, sort of number here. Uh, as far as my understanding, three three orthopedic surgeons sat in the room and decided it should be 10 in about 1980. I don't think mm. there was any science to it. Um, <laughs> and then that we sort of progressed from there. And I guess what we're seeing is if we use Essex as, as an example again, um, I think they've got one at eight mil and then and then one at six mil or four mil um, in their Metaspeed Sky and Metaspeed Edge. And, and what they're going for is they're saying there's two different types of runners. One's a long, lopy stride and one's a, one's a short fellow like me with a higher cadence. And they're saying, you know, is one pitch better, for, uh, you know, than, than another for those types of runners, which is a really interesting conversation and one that mm. um, we can get into another time. But mm. um, yeah, it's sort of fascinating stuff, really, if you ask uh- me. And in, in terms of um, you know how much quicker they are, you know we're seeing world records getting broken every flipping couple of weeks. It seems like over the various yeah. different distances. Do you think that is primarily down to shoes? I know track. There's different rules around the spikes and stuff, but yep. is, are, the, are the shoes that much difference for for, for the elite athletes? Yeah, that, this is a this is a, an interesting conversation. One I've had. You know, you might know Caden Shields, who's a top New Zealand marathon runner, and you know, we often go jogging together. He's a physio and I'm a shoe guy and we both run marathons and, and we'll talk about there's lots of advancements, I guess, in the way we're training. And I think we're in this perfect storm around the COVID period and there hasn't been a lot of racing going. So I think athletes are fresher too. So well, let's bear mm-hmm. that in mind as well. Um, you know, because really the records have fallen in the last three years and, and we haven't done the racing that we have. And as we know, racing makes us tired. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if we're picking one event and, and, and nailing it, that tends to lead to a great performance. And, because the athlete, because the races are so few and far between, or have been, um, that's seen some pretty deep fields, which is always going to help. Um, and the track is a different thing. Um, there, you know, the way they're training and the way the Norwegians have mixed the the game up there, as I'm sure you've talked mm. about. Some of those top triathletes and some of those top runners over there, the way they're doing some of their high intensity stuff twice a day, and, and but so we are seeing advancements there. But in terms of the shoes, I won't waffle too much. Um, yeah, look, I think uh, what they're doing is they're not beating our legs up as much. Um, and I think I found the first time I ran a, a, um, a half marathon in a pair, you know, compared to my old New Balance 1500s, was that I didn't, my legs and calves didn't have that beat up feeling towards the end of the race. And, and obviously, if you're not feeling sore, you can probably push a wee bit harder. Mm. Um, and so, you know, that enabled me to go, you know, go quicker. Are they faster? Look, I, I can't run a K any faster than I could. 10 years ago <laughs> yeah um you know you know flat out um you know there might be there might be three or four seconds in it um yeah is that because i've been running for 10 years was that because the shoes got faster don't know um in terms of marathon running and, and the times coming down again i think we're in this perfect storm of we've got you know a group of athletes handpicked um over the last decade and obviously one being um elliot kipchoge who is an absolute weapon and um and 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 with you know shoes and, and and nutrition are being formed around him to to run these amazing times and his um you know his countrymen um so it's yeah, that's that's impressive too mm. um can we can we put it down to the shoes look i think it's one of three or four things we could probably yarn about um mm. but they are fun to run in that's for sure 
and for, for triathletes, you know, if we look at the, we always look at the fastest runners, they all seem to be wearing them. They look like they're lighter, obviously. Um, you said they sort of feel better. For our triathletes that are, you know, maybe middle of the pack, sort of Ironman athletes, they may be running at five, six, seven minute Ks when they're doing, you know, a half Ironman or an Ironman. Um, what can, can they expect much um, difference in feeling or, or to go faster? Or it's more about just, finding the, the shoe that sort of suits them best to, to get them moving the quickest? Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a really interesting question. So I'll start with the first bit is most of the research is done sort of in and above 16 kilometers an hour mm. from what I can tell. So we've got, you know, some leading podiatrists and, and biomechanic experts who are, who are testing these shoes sort of 16, 17, 18 plus K an hour. And there's not a lot of testing less than 16 K an hour. And I like my feeling around that is that, it probably comes down to ground, ground contact time and like any any lever and i don't know how to translate this into biking terms maybe there isn't but like any lever you have to put a lot in to get a lot out mm-hmm. and if you're not putting in enough power enough force chances are you're not actually creating any extra spring anyway mm-hmm. um and because the foams are so light and soft are we creating extra eversion or pronation um, you know, are we actually just wearing down our stabilizing um, tendons and, and muscles in the lower legs um, because we aren't being as poppy off the ground as, as, as we could be when we're moving faster? Mm. Um, and, and, and what does that look like at the back end of a, a four and a half, five hour marathon once you nutcases have got off the bike for <laughs> yes. seven or eight hours? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, and, you know, and, you, and your, your hips are tired and you, you can't use your ex- extenders as well as you could unless you're Brad and Curry or, yeah. Um, one Fredino or those guys, but um, yeah, look, I think I think the thing is to think about is you know we're talking about economy and efficiency, and that's what running is really economy and efficiency. And and is my gear, and that could be you know footwear, clothing, nutrition, is the gear making me as economical and as efficient as possible? Um, and look, if you're wearing a pair of Nike vapor flies and your ankle bones are hitting the ground immediately. Um, mm. 21k into your marathon I don't think that's being efficient mm. um, whereas if you've got a pair of uh, uh guides which are 30 grams heavier but make your running technique a little more economical and efficient at the back end of trying to run a marathon and you're not so sore then maybe that's better um, mm. there's trade-offs trade-offs to everything um, I don't know how you feel about that. What, what, yeah, what there's, 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 there's no anything? silver bullet. It's 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 so similar to to pretty much all the three sports we have. You know, if you want to go for a super flexible wetsuit, you're going to get uh, better flexibility, but you're going to get a little bit less buoyancy. If you go for a you know a, mm. maybe a slightly more aerodynamic um, fit on the bike, that might be great. Might make you go faster, but then you've got to sit up in the second half of the bike ride. So it very much sounds like you know the, the other three disciplines. It's a matter of sort of going around and feeling your way around. And as you said, you know, it's going to suit some people, but it's not necessarily going to, going to suit everybody. Yep, agreed. I, I, I definitely agree with that 100%. And just in terms of the durability of these, um, you know, from from you know, put it in a in an av- a good to average runner, and, and obviously you're at the very good end. You know, how how do these shoes last compared to say a a, a, a traditional sort of racing flat? Are they pretty similar, or are they um, they're going to burn mm. out a bit quicker? Yeah, so I think like we talk if we talk racing shoes, you know, across my time being an athlete, they probably last the same to be honest. Yeah. Um, the the problem is they're twice the price. Mm. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That's the that's the problem. Is, is a classic pair of uh, you know uh, Nike um, Streak LTs from 2007, which were a great racing flat. Um, you know they they were 180 dollars um, yeah. from my memory, and and now you know we're looking at 350, 400 bucks. So um, you know you put a piece of carbon in it and some fancy foam and. Um, yeah. you sort of double the money but I think in terms of durability if we if we looked across the brands there is some you know some some real differences um, and I've been obviously fortunate enough to wear every single one um, Nike's Essex Adidas Brooks Saucony um, Hoka all you know every single one I've had a go and at some point some I've liked some I haven't um, some suit my little choppy gait more than others but I think the Nike and the Essex um, probably feel the bounciest for me Mm. um and the fastest but they last the least yeah um i got you know probably only 200 kilometers i would say honestly um mm. of hard run, of hard running in them um the Saucony, the endorphin pro 2 love that shoe um you know really felt like i'd get up and sprint that i probably got four or five hundred k out of that because it's mm. a polyurethane material so the, it didn't really collapse on me at all i just sort of scuffed the bottom out and ripped the upper uh and then the brooks hyperion elite 2 that one's still going um, mm. and sort of their website says it's worth 400 miles. I'm not sure I'd take it 400 miles. That's probably a bit far, but um, so yeah, sort of they, they go okay. Yeah. Um, but you definitely know when they die cause they just don't give you anything back at all. Very good. Uh, any, any other advice you've got for, for, you know, for triathletes that you've seen maybe just anecdotal yeah. stuff so far from, from people that have been wearing them just around Christchurch or other sort of stuff. Any, any yeah. other comments you've got? Yeah, so I guess like for training, um, that was something we had in our notes to to yeah. chat about. Like it's they're, they're not an every everyday shoe, um, and and if they are, you've you've got much more money than I have. Um, <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, yeah, the reason I say that is um, I don't know what you're like, but you might only put your carbon wheel on for the race, yeah. um, and yep. and maybe and maybe your session. And I think uh, for two things, one, you actually want to use them a little bit because they, in my experience, do load the the soft tissue load is different so it tends to affect my upper hamstring um and sort of lower back a little bit more than mm -hmm. a, a traditional racing flat which might be more calves and achilles mm -hmm. um and so you just want to get used to that sort of forward body lean that's happening um and, and, and sort of holding yourself up because the last thing you want to do is get through an hour and a half and, and figure out that you can't hold yourself up um and then sort of getting used to the the way they roll off the front is nice too but you don't want to use them so much that they sort of become ordinary Mm. Um, and, and, and it's always nice to put them on, you know, tomorrow morning, I'll, I'll use a pair of the Brooks, um, Hyperion Elite twos for my 2k reps. And it's always nice. You warm up in your, in your normal shoes and then you switch them over and do totally. a stride out and, um, totally feel agree fast, you. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm always agree. amazed at the people who can warm up in a pair of alpha flies. It just drives me nuts. Yeah. Um, you know, there's something so special about, about changing the shoes over. Yeah. Um, and look, it makes them last longer. So, you know, look, I, I use a pair of carbon flats once a week. Yeah. And uh, that might surprise people, but that's it. 15K mm. a week out of my, out of my 160, 170K. Yeah. Um, yeah. Excellent. Yep. No, that's given us a really good insight, Oscar. I really appreciate that. So just a couple of other qu two quick questions. Um, do you think Hayden yep. Wilde's going to be quick enough to qualify for the Commonwealth Games of 5K? And, and are you trying to gun for, what, what are you trying to gun for in terms of your marathon running? Yeah, well, look, I hope he does. He's a he's a great rooster. He's great for New Zealand. Uh, he's got a great story. Um, he's a he's a great competitor. 
Um, and, you know, everyone sort of, you know, loves watching and loves following him. Can he qualify in the double in the triathlon and a 5K? I don't know if that's ever been done, but it's savage. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I rate it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, I think you probably get to the point in your career where you just want people to do the best they can. Um, and I hope, I hope he, I hope he, he, he does that. Um, in terms of my own running the marathon qualification, when I started doing this in 2010 or 2009 was two hours and 16 minutes. Um, and I thought, yeah, I, I can do that. Uh, and I have, but now it's two hundred nine thirty. Oh, it's a bit ouch. different. So, yeah, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit different to triathlon, I guess. Where yeah. I think it's based on sort of previous spots, isn't it? And then where yeah. you sit in the world rankings is that? Yeah, Correct. so it's, yeah, we're 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 racing a forever shifting um, sort of level of sport based. I, I'm guessing on a you know a top eight, which is, tends to be a percentage of the world record. Yeah, and 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 so it's not like you know other countries perhaps where it's you run under the IAAF time, which tends to be about 2.15, 2.16, and then they just take the fastest three. Mm. Um, so the, obviously New Zealand's funding is a bit different to, to the world's. Um, so look, it's cool. You know, I'm, I'm hoping I can make that world um, half marathon championships team again. Um, and we've got world cross country championships in Bathurst. Um, so definitely, cool. you know, going to put my hand up to have a crack there, which would be cool mm. over the ditch. And then, you know, they might relax the standards for that uh, Victoria twenty. 26 Commonwealth yep. Games, I think is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, um, it is. Because it, we're just we're we're just over the ditch, so um, who knows? They might relax that back to 213, and then I think you will find a group of us um, at least get together and bash each other for two hours, and someone might get to go. That tends to be the attitude these days. Cool. Fine. One final quick question I just forgot about: yep. What are the rules around the shoes these days? You, you mentioned uh, um, world athletics and stuff like that. I seem to recall there's there's going to be some rule changes. Is that sort of coming in, or has that yes. uh, happened? Yeah, you put me on the spot there. I know. <laughs> from, from all I, from all, and don't quote me. And obviously, this will be time stamped. Yeah. Um, from what I understand, it has to be under 30, uh, 39.99 mil. Um, sort of uh, higher stack, so it tends to yeah. be obviously in the heel, um, and that's for, that's for the road. I have a sneak suspicion that might be changing because we are seeing some uh, lower stack shoes turn up. Yeah, um, and there was some chat around, you know, maybe we'll try on getting a heads up on that too because I think they yeah. had to follow those IAA rules too, eh? So yeah. same with um, some other bits. So and we should do our we should again. do our research on that and try to make sure we yes. get that right because it's um yeah it'll be an interesting time ahead. But guys uh, I think uh, yeah yeah yep. no, we'll check that out. So guys check out uh, frontrunnercolumbo.co.nz um, for all the Kiwi listeners. If you're international listeners when you ever get down to New Zealand come and check us out down here. Um, but Oscar all the best with the upcoming race and um, yeah thanks so much for your time on a party night Friday night here in Christchurch. That's the one mate. Cheers. Appreciate it John. Can't even ask you your thoughts because you haven't done it yet. No. Hopefully you have done it. No. Hopefully it's the best shoe interview ever. Well, it's 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 partly because I've got to go to the dark side. I've I've, I've cracked, Bevan. What do you I, mean? Well, I'm going to go get myself a pair of shoes as well. So in terms of the plated shoes. Oh, you are. It's free speed. You're buying speed. No, you're not, stupid. Not I'm not happy that. about it. You're um, a fool if you don't. Know. Yeah, but I'm, I've got to do it. Why? why? Why are you not happy about it? Because if, on a bike, you'd buy speed. Totally. It's not rational. It's not rational thoughts, but I'm not happy about it. But you're I'm a purist, aren't you? Yep. You want you want your ten speed 
with your hook handles. Yeah. You know, your, your Gear brakes at, up the front. Gear at aero bars. I love my TT bike. I love being in the aero position. But let's make the sport a little bit more accessible. However. Because what are you paying for a pair of those shoes now? Uh, the retail in New Zealand is about 300 to 350 And they don't last that long, do they? No. Um, and then, so American, I guess that's probably 200 to 250 That is a lot of money. Mm. You know. I yeah. tell you what, I wear shoes out so quickly now. Why? I've just wear them why out. Now? My, why now? I wear them out of my toe. I've got to get myself videoed, but I'm really towing off in a, in a strange way, and I just wear it out in my toe, mm. on the bottom, and they do not last very long at all. What do I do? Because I like the boost. Admittedly, mm. I haven't got the carbon fibers. Uh, Adidas have a good Black Day Friday, Friday sale. Mm. Buy a year's worth of shoes. Right. You're like, seriously, you're like, shoes that cost you 300, you get 400 bucks. Mm. So buy four pairs, five pairs, and. Sweet as bro. Although hashtag Reebok, I'm sponsored by <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, I think he just owns Reebok, so I can get away with that. Uh, quiz question, okay. Cameron Worth, has he won any Ironman? And if so, how many is the question? Now, if you're listening to this, what do you think the answer is? Jombo, I'm going to wait, I'm going to need a number in my head. Okay, got one Okay. Well, the reason this came up was uh, we were looking at Ironman Australia that you heard of. Uh, of earlier in the show it's yep. happening this weekend and I saw his name pop up there thought well he's I know he's won that I know he had that one where he beat Lionel Sanders last year which was like Copenhagen I was going to say two. Oh, I'm going to say five okay let's have a look I'll pull it up I haven't I've I do not know the answer to this so last year okay. 2021 he won Copenhagen year one, before that two Italy. three is the Ken's triathlon no no Cairns no well, I think it's four is it no Wales, four. Four it is, John. Neither of us yeah. get it. So he's won Copenhagen in 2021. In Italy. 1991, Italy and Australia. 1990. Yeah. Uh, uh, 2019, 2019, 2019 even. Yeah. Uh, and then the year before that, he didn't win any iron, iron distance. distance races. And then he won Wales, Wales. the year before that. Yeah. Second in Sweden. Hmm. He actually, his best year was 2018, although he didn't win an Ironman that year, but he got... You know, few podiums. 2019 was pretty good. He got third and wrote oh, three, yeah. uh, three wins, much. five, five uh, fifth in Hawaii. It's just going to oh, be interesting. I he got fifth in Hawaii. Yeah, no, he is. He's always a real deal on the bike, isn't he? What's yeah. his run like? Uh, he ran 255 in Hawaii. That's not bad for Hawaii. Yeah. If you're biking that quick, yeah. you know, if he could chop five minutes off that, he's right in the mix to be in the podium. Uh, and he's shown that he's 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 capable of, of doing that. Um and he's obviously going to have a great engine under him with his uh, Cycle. with the cycling he's been doing. It's just he's um, thirty-eight. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, he raced last year, so I, I just I don't really follow him, so I'm not sure if he's planning on doing um, triathlon this season or not. Hopefully, he is. Yeah, well, he brings a different dynamic to the race, doesn't he? You mm. know, you get a few of those good cyclists together. Mm. And he's always good for, good for laying down a bit of smack talk. And St George is going to be a, a good course for cyclists, isn't it? Should be, yeah, should be. And it's definitely hilly, you know, uh, so it should. It may not necessarily break up, but you'll have to probably ride quite hard, you Yeah, think? so it might affect the runners on that yeah. side, yeah. So, um, yeah, it should be, it should be a good all-rounders course. Interesting times ahead. Okay, John, but let's say thank you to our patrons. James, the Red Rocket Thomas. We've got uh, fancy, uh, Fast Fancy Feet, Rob Dullymore. And Tim Breaker. Hemming, he breaks the news. He does indeed. Uh, this week's show, oh, if you want to become a patron of the show, go to me, click on support the show, go through the process, you support the boys what we're doing. If you want some coaching, coachjohnmewson.com. Also, is Epic Camps, go to epiccamp.com. For my podcast or anything that I do, bevanjamesoles.com. And for content, just go to iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com.
Jumbo, how long are you up there for? We're up there for a week. Uh, just a couple of things on those camps, if people are keen. Uh, there's going to be a, a Challenge Road Camp next year um, in late oh. June. Um, there's also, I've got a couple of spaces now available for my October camp in New Zealand, which is a full epic camp, but we have a full variety of athletes on that. It's not the hard course. So as long as you're really fit and strong, you'll be okay. We, as I said, we've got athletes ranging from nine hours to, you know, significantly slower than, uh, than 10 hours, you know, sort of more the 12 to 13 sort of hour range so get in touch if you want to come and see some amazing parts of New Zealand um, Bevan I'm up there for one week going to do a bit of training starting to get pretty close to Kona 70.3 key session for this week for me will be doing a Olympic distance triathlon at half Ironman effort and if you can hold that I'm pretty confident of uh, that I'll be able to double the distance once it comes to Kona yeah well, it's still a solid workout you know yeah. you're doing sort of Two and a half hours ish um, of solid solid work. It's got to hit some good good numbers. What's your, what's your run pace? Um, mm, it's probably only going to be four minute k's to be honest, okay. based on how things are going. Yeah. Uh, so that's the plan. I'll try and go out and ride about two hundred and sixty ish watts and run four minute k's. Have a little swim. Job done. Job done. Good. Mm. Good. What's happening with you this week? Where are you? What's happening with me this week, John? I'm in Auckland. Mm-hmm. And I'm locked in my hotel room because I'm not allowed to do anything. I can't get COVID. <laughs> I'm doing, doing important work. So they say, you can't do anything. We can't afford you to get COVID. So I'll be in my hotel. Uh, you know what, John? <sighs> Releasing a book is a lot, yeah. lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm about, I'm probably, it's probably the next six, seven weeks it's going to come out. Um, and so I am just working like a beast right now. Just getting, that's not good. Well, it's not really, but I do believe in the book and I do believe it's a message that's important and, and I do believe I can help people. So the book's done. It's all the other stuff you've got to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, jeepers, creepers. Although I did get the audio file back from the guy who edited my... Mm-hmm. This guy's a genius. Really? Now, I'm not sure if I'm... A, I'm still not sure if I'll use it because I'm not sure if I'm that expressive enough. Mm-hmm. But what I gave him was pretty poor. Yeah. And what he's given me back was good enough. You know, like it's... Yeah. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not terrible. I'm just maybe... maybe there could be a high level, maybe, but um, OMG, Stephen Fry, he'd be he'd be good at reading a book. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he? he'd be love to yeah. do my <laughs> fitness book. You know, it'd be really good. It's it's hard to get someone who does like uh, okay. No, I say I'm fine. Don't get me wrong, but you need someone who has a little bit of energy. And a lot mm-hmm. of the the readers, they just don't have the energy of a fitness person. Yeah, they've got they they talk nice and clearly yeah. and crisply, pronounce the words, yeah. and it'll be nice and smooth. But yeah. Because I'm a good talker, like I have lots of expression when I talk, but when I read, I lose that aspect a little bit. Hmm. And so if I was just to talk my book, it would be a lot more expressive. And, and again, it's not terrible, um, but yeah, it's been an interesting experience. Hmm. So yeah, other than that, John, just hopped up in a hotel room, hmm. working away, not allowed to get COVID. You, know? you and me both. All right, let's wrap it up, Jonbo. Iron Russ. I'm Mendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia kaha. kaha.